over the last several months as we've looked at Malachi, he has pointed us to a lot of eras in the worship of his day. He has had this dispensational, dispensational approach, having the word of God come to the people and say, you are doing this or you are not doing this, and then immediately a response from people anticipated, how are we doing that? Why, we're, we're good. We're, we're, we're just like we've always been. We're, we're good people. How can you say that about us is basically what uh, the people were saying back to Malachi and talking about the word of the Lord. He's talked about bringing what you don't need or what you don't want to the Lord and making that your gift to the Lord. He's talked about the keeping of covenants in marriage relationships as well as in covenant relationship with him. He's he's talked about the whole idea of, of, of coming into worship with hearts that are less than committed to him, less than than intent upon knowing him. I mean, Malachi, through these verses, have given us a pretty straightforward and pretty clear condemnation of a lot of what takes place as worship in his day. But I dare say it is an example, an example of what is taking place in our day. And the scripture is very clear about that. When we come to these last six verses, and turn with me, if you will, to chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 in Malachi's gospel, Malachi's gospel, Malachi's prophecy, I had Brother Ricky read the last 12 verses or so of the New Testament out of the book of Revelation, and we're going to read the last six verses out of, uh, out of the Old Testament, and I want you to see a contrast there between the two of them for just briefly, but, but primarily I want you to see that Malachi is showing that there is to be a difference between the righteous and the wicked. And you may say, well, of course there's to be a difference. The wicked are over here doing wicked things. The righteous are over here doing good things. And and, and the twain shall never meet. Sure, there's to be a difference. But the point that Malachi wants us to see is, is that if you are in a relationship, in a covenant relationship with God, you are covered by the righteousness of Christ in the new covenant relationship. And that relationship will cause your life to be different from the world around us. I don't mean you'll be off beheading people. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I don't mean you'll be off killing people and, and, and doing armed robbery and, and, and raping and doing all sorts of things that we would consider horrible. But Malachi wants us to see that those who know the Lord will live differently from those who don't. And it will show itself different, not just when we gather for an hour or so on Sunday morning to worship, but we will show ourselves different by the grace of God in our life, through our everyday life out in the world. It will change how we live, and it will change what people see in our lives. It will also change the way God views us, whether we are wicked or righteous. Hear Malachi's word in chapter 4, the last six, only six verses in chapter 4. For behold, in other words, listen, pay close attention to what I'm about to say. Behold, the day is coming, and that day is burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff, and the, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze, burn them up says the Lord of hosts, so that you will leave them neither root nor branch. So it it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, 
The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet from the day, on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all of Israel. That's just another name from Mount Sinai. Behold, I'm going to send to you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, and he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. So that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. The contrast you see between the ending of the Old Testament in Malachi's prophecy and the ending of the New Testament in the prophecy of John from the Isle of Patmos in the book of Revelation is that Malachi ends, the Old Testament ends with a threat of curse and the New Testament ends with a promise of blessing. The Old Testament ends with saying that those who are not righteous, those who are not walking in Christ, those who are not in relationship covenantally with Him will see themselves burned up like the chaff in verse, verse 1. As a matter, verse 1 is talking about the destiny of the proud and the wicked. The whole idea is eternal separation and damnation, eternal suffering in hell is what he's talking about there. They will be burned up like the chaff. They will be done away. They'll have no, neither root nor branch. They will be completely gone. Basically what he's answering in verses 1 and 2 is this question. Is there no difference between the wicked and the righteous? And he says a resounding yes, there is a difference between the wicked and the righteous. Now again, we don't believe that you are righteous in order to develop a right relationship with God. We believe that we are righteous because we have a right relationship with God. We believe that we are righteous because Christ has clothed us in his righteousness. We believe we are righteous not because of our work, because of his work. I don't come to tell you what I've done. I come to tell you what he has done. And that's the whole of the gospel message, folks. It's not, hey, I got better. I reformed myself. I, I changed myself. I cleaned up my life, and, and now I'm right with God. It is that I was a mess, but I, I, as God entered my life and I had a right relationship with God, it has changed me. I'm always amazed when I read Paul's letter to Timothy, that second letter to Timothy. Just listen. You have time to turn there. But when he writes this in chapter 3, verses 1 through and, and following, he says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. He's talking to Timothy, telling him what to preach to the church that he's ministering to there in Ephesus. In the last days, difficult times will come. For men and women will be lovers of self. They'll be lovers of self. They want what they want when they want it. They want their desires met. They want their pleasures met. They don't care what it costs or what it takes. They will be lovers of self, lovers of money. We'll do anything in the last days, Paul says, to amass money for ourselves. Not for the, for, for, uh, for the furtherance of the gospel, not for the furtherance of the work of Christ, but for me, lovers of self, loving money because I love myself so much boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, unreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, 
uh, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Wow. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have, ne- they have denied its power, they're very religious. You see, Paul, in writing this to Timothy, yes, he's talking about that the world is going to be like that, and you can expect that. Expect difficult times if you're a believer in the world. Expect persecution. We don't know it here in America, but Christians are seeing it around the world. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, but, the, but expect difficult times. But here's what scares me. I think Paul is not so concerned about saying this is how it's going to be out in the world, but this is how it's going to be among those who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. They are religious they're not righteous. They're religious, but they're not righteous. What was the biggest box seller at the, at the theaters just a couple of weeks ago? Probably still is. A movie entitled Fifty Shades of Grey about adultery and, and bondage and all sorts of depravity. And yet I hear from reading, I haven't seen the movie, but I hear from 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 surveys have been taken that at least 25 to 30% of those who are going to see the movies are professing Christians. I don't know, when Paul said, you know, whatever's good, whatever's right, whatever's pure, let your minds meditate on that. I don't see a whole lot of good and pure and right in that. It's pure pornography. And pornography has become the great spiritual killer of the church today, both for men and women? I, I don't see, when, 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 when Malachi says, you know, listen, the righteous will, will know my name, they'll fear my name, and the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings upon them. He's not talking about the sun that's the center of our solar system. He's talking about the son of righteousness, the brightness of righteousness, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, will shine upon us and cleanse us, and change us, and make us like Him. I was reading another article this week. I'm I'm always fascinated with technology. You can ask my wife. I have been a gimmick person before gimmicks were cool, okay? If I could get a gimmick of any kind, any not gimmick, gadget, any gadget of any kind, I I wanted to have it. You know, I, I, I bought gadgets when I couldn't afford to buy gadgets, but that's another story. Won't go there. But I was reading about some of the new apps that are available on, on iPhone. I have an iPhone. And I, I went to the app store after reading about one of these and hearing about one of these. And I was, I was just, I was grieved by it. Uh, and, and a lot of people, millions of people have downloaded this and evidently are using it. It's, it's an app called Whisper. Sounds innocuous, doesn't it? So I went and read the, I went and read the description of of the whisper out. It, it says, the description is, it's an anonymous secret sharing and messaging for free. Doesn't cost anything. So even more people will download it. Don't go download it after I tell you this. It says, whisper, uh, see secrets posted by people near you or from your school. Whisper is the first anonymous social network. Now, I, gotta, I tell you, I see an oxymoron just in that phrase. Anonymous and social. They they don't go together, but they think they do. It's the first anonymous social network. It is the best place for people to express themselves, connect with a like-minded individual, and discover the unseen world around them. 
Whisper allows you to anonymously share your thoughts, stories, and feelings, now get this, with the world and form meaningful relationships in a community built on trust and honesty. Now, just let that sink in for a minute. You can build relationships in a community built on trust and honesty. If you, ever, if you have ever had something to, too intimate to share on traditional social networks, simply share it on Whisper. And it gives you the highlights of it, which are kind of a repeat of what I just read. So I'll stop there. Can I tell you this is a lie from Satan? That's all it is. It's that you can build community, you can build friendships, you can build relationships anonymously. So you don't need the church. You don't need the covenant community. Just come on over to this anonymity and let's just have fun talking dirty to one another or whatever. Folks, it is scary. I, I, there's no way to know how many Christians have downloaded that app, but it's scary to think about how many might. Fifty Shades of Grey, pornography at your fingertips on a computer screen, whisper. So you just whisper your thoughts to people who you don't know, whatever you want to do. I mean, what, what, in, what kind of culture is being built? And how is that culture, how much of it is penetrating those who say, I'm a Christian, I'm a part of the church. How many are penetrating? How much of that is penetrating into the lives of those who God has called to godliness? I was kind of watching to see if any of you grabbed your smartphone and started deleting. I didn't know. Malachi says there is a difference in the righteous and the wicked. And the, the destiny of the defiant and the proud and the wicked is to be burned like chaff and blown away with no root and no branch and no membranes. And the destiny, destiny of the righteous, those who are in Christ, will be those who know the rising of the sun of righteousness with healing wings. Now, I love the analogy here. I, I've never been a farmer, never lived on a farm, worked around some farms as a, as a high schooler and some side jobs, but I love how he describes you and me. He says, you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. I have seen calves that have been locked up for a while, let loose. I was going to do a little dance here like I thought they did, but I'll spare you of that. But they just dance around. They rejoice in the freedom that has come from being set free from the bondage of the stall. What Malachi is saying here is when the sun of righteousness shines upon you, when you know the righteousness of Christ, when God does that work in your life, you will be set free, full of joy and dancing like a calf getting out of the stall because you've been set free from the bondage of sin. What a glorious truth. Malachi says it's for all who know him. He says kind of in verses 4, 5, and 6, he, he kind of asks another question in a in sort of an implied sort of way. 
And that is, are there, are there any guides for righteousness? You know, I know some people who think that righteousness is whatever feels good to them. That's what Paul was talking about. It would be lovers of pleasure, lovers of self, loving pleasure more than loving God. And we get the idea that, well, you know, if it feels good, it must be of God. It must be God blessing me. So I feel good. That must be righteousness. Paul, uh, Malachi says, no, there are some guidelines for righteousness. And he, he says, look backward, look, look back, and look forward to find that. He says, first of all, look backward to, to the law of Moses. Now, now, he's not trying to introduce some kind of formalism or ritualistic uh, 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 legalism here, which we're, we can easily fall into. He's not saying you've got to be legalistic, take the laws and you know, live by those one by one and you'll be righteous. That's not it at all. But he's saying, there's your guide. There's what has been given for you to remember and, and as an example to you. Look back to the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all of Israel, all of my people. He said, Behold, then I'm going to send to you Elijah the prophet. Now, Elijah's been dead a long time. Elijah has been dead. Elijah was a great prophet. He prophesied in the time of great sin, and, the, and great reformation was needed among the nation and among the people who claimed the name of God. And, and Malachi just saying here, in, in that day, just before the coming of Messiah, just before the coming of the, of the one who's going to redeem his people, he's, I'm, I'm going to send Elijah. Not literally. This is not a statement of reincarnation where Elijah somehow comes back from the dead and, in a little different form. But the spirit of Elijah, the spirit of repentance, the spirit of calling the people to see their sin and repent and quit loving their own pleasure more than they love God, I'm going to send Elijah prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord and he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and smite the land with a curse he says yeah there's some there's some standards there's some guidelines for righteousness look at the look at the the laws and ordinances of Moses God says, I gave those that you might see my character and that you might understand that through faith and by faith, that character can become a part of your life. Holiness can become a part of your life. Righteousness can become a part of your life. The prophet's coming to declare the way and clear the way for the coming of the Lord. And, and, and he did come in John the Baptist. And he came saying, repent, for the day of the Lord is near. Repent, for the Lord is coming. And, and, and be reconciled to God through the, the mercy and the grace that's going to be shown in the coming of the Lord. Look back to Moses. Look ahead to the, to the prophet Elijah coming on the scene once again. And let your lives be different. Let your lives be different. How different is your life from everybody else around you Monday through Saturday? Simple question. Is it different because there's a righteousness that God has granted you by grace in Jesus Christ? Or are you just like everybody else? You just happen to give up your Sundays and go to church? I mean, that's a, that's a simple and important question. And let me tell you something. Cultural Christianity in the United States of America is not biblical Christianity. 
just because you join a church, just because you get baptized, just because you, you, you raise your hand in evangelistic service, that, does not, that is not biblical Christianity. Those are all things that perhaps are important in the process. But biblical Christianity sets the righteous apart from the wicked. I was fascinated this past couple of weeks. Snowed in, iced in, you can read a lot of things, but I was fascinated at what took place in Syria. 21 Coptic Christians from Egypt beheaded. You saw the pictures. You, I, I don't know if you saw the video or not. I, I, I didn't watch the video, but I, I saw the pictures of the, uh, of the, the Coptic Christians in orange jumpsuits and their, their executioners in black garb and faces covered and, and they marched them out by the sea and beheaded 21 people. Now you could have watched the news and saw that there were 21 Egyptian citizens who were beheaded and never known that those were 21 believers in Jesus Christ. You also could watch the news and, and maybe somebody got it through that, hey, these people were professing Christians. But I guarantee you, you didn't hear on the, on the normal news, whether it's CNN, Fox, MSNBC, NBC, ABC, or whatever the alphabet is that you're looking at, I guarantee you that you didn't hear on the news that the words those Coptic Christians were saying were very similar to the words that Stephen said when he was stoned in the presence of the Apostle Paul. Lord Jesus, have mercy on them and receive me into your presence. It's on the video. Now, it's in Turkish or Arabic or something. You can't understand it. But, it, but it's on there. And, and they're crying. They put the sound out. And for those who can hear it, those who can understand it, that's the words they're saying. They interviewed the brother of two of those Coptic Christians who were murdered. He wasn't with them. He's still alive and living in Turkey. And that they interviewed him, and th this is what he had to say. It's a fascinating statement. They said, how do, you, how do you feel about your brothers? He said, well, I'm just thankful that ISIS allowed the sound to be on the video and they could be heard calling out to Jesus Christ, confessing Jesus Christ, even at the point of the sword chopping off their heads. I'm glad that ISIS didn't mute the sound or take out the sound, but the sound of, of my brothers calling out to the Lord Jesus Christ, not in fear, not in hatred, but just calling out to him to have mercy in the midst of that. He was interviewed on a, on a program. You can do a search on brother of slain Coptic Christians, and you can watch the video, and they'll have subtitles that'll give the whole interview. You can watch it. It's kind of fascinating. But he said that, you know, since the Roman era, Christians have been martyred and have learned to handle everything that comes our way. This only makes us stronger in our faith because the Bible told us to love our enemies and bless those who curse us. I think all too often we have the attitude, let's just go in and wipe them out. And I'll confess that sinful attitude also. The Bible tells us as believers who have the righteousness of Christ to, to love our enemies and bless those who curse us. The, the person on the, doing the interview asked this brother 
would you, would, you like to, would you like to say a prayer for those who killed your brother, brothers? And he did. His name is Bashir. And this is what he said. Dear God, please open the eyes of ISIS to be saved and to quit their ignorance and the wrong teachings that they were taught. He doesn't say, Lord God, dear God, please destroy them. I know we've got the pectoral psalms that, that have a place. Don't get me wrong. But his prayer was, Lord, please open the eyes of those in ISIS to be saved, to come to Christ, and to quit their ignorance and the wrong teachings that they were taught. The Bible Society of Egypt, made up of Christians, when that happened a couple of weeks ago, said, we got to get something out. we gotta get, we got we to gotta do something. So they printed a tract. I, I've got it here. I'm not going to have time to read it, but, but I want to tell you about it. It, it. It's called Two Rows by the Sea. And it shows the picture of the two rows of men, those in orange, those in black. And it's entitled Two Rows by the Sea. And it starts out with a little poem about uh, that's a, a traditional Egyptian poem. But then it asks three questions. Which row understands? And it quotes 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. You know, that you're going to suffer trials and persecution, and they are. It quotes John 16, 2 through 4. It says, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering service to God. And they will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when the time comes, you'll remember that I warned you. Jesus speaking to believers. Second question is, which row sees? It's two rows by the sea, S-E-A. Which row, black or orange, sees, S-E-E-S? And there they quote Acts 7, 54 through 60, where Stephen is being martyred Stephen is being killed for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and he looks up into heaven and what does he see he doesn't see his persecutors he doesn't see the stoners around him he looks up and he sees the Lord Jesus Christ and he commits his own life into his hand and he prays for those who are persecuting him and, and then the third question which row understands which row really sees and which row will prevail it quotes Romans 8, 35 through 39, one of the most fabulous passages, you know. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And on and on it goes, and it finally comes down and says, nothing, nothing will ever separate us from the love of Christ. A sword can't do it. Persecution can't do it. Evil can't do it. Our Lord reigns. It's fascinating. That's amazing. Malachi sees it in the difference between the righteous and the wicked. John saw it at the end of, of his revelation when he just says, The Lord is coming. Come quickly, Lord. Come and redeem your people. Come and take them to be at home with you, Lord. We rejoice in that. We glory in that if we are among those that Malachi calls the righteous. Paul says, Listen, put aside foolish things. Put aside evil. Don't desire to know evil so that you can say, well, I experienced that, so now I know righteousness. How much of a lie of Satan is that? 
Paul says to the, to the Roman Christians, listen, shun what is evil. Look away from what is evil. Don't participate in what is evil. You concentrate on the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody told me one time, said, I, I just hate it that I don't have a testimony about drugs or debauchery or sexual immorality or any number of things. I just hate I don't have that kind of testimony because wouldn't, be wouldn't that be a glorious thing for the gospel if I'd had that kind of testimony and came to faith in Christ? And I said, well, what is your testimony? He said, well, I was raised in a Christian home, raised in the church, professed Christ in early age, and have grown in my faith and continued following Christ. And, and I said, I'll take that any day. And that's more biblical. I mean, the glory of saying, I learned the righteousness of Christ from an early age, and I, I give myself to him, and I put aside all this stuff. When Paul said to Timothy, in the last days, they're going to be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Let me ask you something. Do you love God more than you love your pleasure? What if it was your brother that was beheaded by ISIS? What if it was your wife that was beheaded or your husband that was beheaded by ISIS? Would you be able to say, well, they died professing Christ? Friday night at the cross conference with our college students and high school seniors, we, we watched and listened and prayed and worshipped and it was a glorious night. I remember John Piper in his opening message said something like, you know, we don't kill people out of hate for our God. We die for his advancement as Christians. We give our lives spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically, bodily for the glory of Christ. Not because we hate, but because we love. And it's not just that we love those people, it's that we love Him supremely. We become lovers of God more than lovers of pleasure in righteousness. Malachi has been a book that has consistently pointed us to true worship. Malachi is a book that is consistently said to you and to me, don't try to fake it. Don't try to act like you're something you're not. Don't come in here and, and say, oh, I got I to gotta look good in here and, and things aren't right out there. Malachi says, come to repentance. John the Baptist came and said, repent, for the Lord is coming. Last words of the Old Testament are repent. The, new, the first words of the New Testament are repent. No change in that. Jesus Christ comes declaring that he is the son of the everlasting God. He is literally God in the flesh. You can, you can pick up some books that find, you'll find fascinating if you want to read them. I read a, a, this morning in my devotion from just the preface to one called Paul and Me. 
and it's subtitled, A Journey to to the Damascus Road and Back from Islam to Christ. Paul and me. It's it's amazing. Just Just the preface had me sitting back there in my office saying, yes, praise God. He is a God who saves to the uttermost and out of the guttermost. I just made that up right here. I didn't mean for that to rub. That wasn't in my notes. But it's true. He saves us completely, and he can save us out of the most horrendous, horrible circumstances. But you know what else he can save us out of? Religiosity. Moralism. Legalism. Self-help religion. He brings us by grace to Christ. Malachi calls us to worship him completely. Now, we're not persecuted here. But we do have brothers and sisters, your relatives, spiritually who are having their heads cut off every day, who are being burned in cages because they profess Christ. But you know what happened? I got to, I got to talk about that track, and I tell you the whole story. They said when that happened, the, the Bible cited Egypt, said, we got to get some tracks together. we got to get something to get the gospel out. Within 36 hours, it, that, that little track, Two Rows by the Sea, was at the printer. Within 36 hours, within two weeks, 1.68 million copies had been distributed in Egypt. In a hostile land, maybe not as hostile as Syria and Iraq and a few other places, but still in a land that is given to a false religion. 1.6 million copies distributed, another million being printed again, standing on the corner at one of the churches there in Egypt, the pastor and and others handing them out, saying, we'll give you this, and then for one pijnar or something, whatever the money exchange is, for one pijnar we'll give you an ishnal, which is a New Testament in their language. One pishnal is the equivalent of 13 cents in our money. And then they'll say, if you'll come into our booth and talk to us, we'll give you a free gift. And they give them a DVD of the Jesus film. Those people are sharing Christ, and they may die for it. Somebody may laugh at you. Somebody may say to you, oh, you don't believe that stuff. You must, you're foolish to believe that. That's so primitive. That's so, that's so prehistoric. That's, that, you're just a dinosaur. And we cower under that. Our brothers and sisters in the Middle East in Korea and in China 
and in other places are sharing their faith at the risk of death. And we won't do it because we're laughed at. We won't do it because they say ugly things about us. God help us. God rescue us from Bible Belt Christianity. God rescue us from a from a formalism that knows no power. God rescue us, rescue us from religiosity that makes no difference once you walk out those doors back there. God save those evil people in ISIS. And God save us. God save my neighbor. Save my son, my daughter, my friends. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Your head's bowed and eyes closed. In a moment, we're going to sing a hymn. You know it. 90% of you could sing it without any words on the screen. It's become commonplace. Just like for many of us, the gospel has become commonplace. And that's tragic. The hymn is... How great thou art. But it's true. It's not just words set to music. It's not just a poem set to music. It's true. And we have been called to proclaim it. As a church. As a people. Will you repent of your religiosity if that's where you are? Will you repent from being captivated by pornography that is polluting your mind from the gospel? Will you repent from just saying, oh, well, that's all right, it feels good. How can it be so bad if it feels so good? Makes a good country song, a lousy philosophy for life. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ, would you trust Christ as he sheds his grace upon you? Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. Father, take your word and burn it into our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.